0: Well hey good morning everybody glad you could join us here today uh, hello to our Newton campus our Shelbyville campus glad you guys are joining us today hey before I jump into my message I just want to I want to give you guys a, 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 just a little bit of inside baseball family update kind of thing because uh, we talk about this sometimes where we got to circle the wagons and just you know talk about some uh, fan new hope family stuff and Some of you may remember uh, something I talked about back in, I think it was like October, it was like middle of the fall. Uh, You know, I I share as part of a family, we share the good and the bad, that we don't don't just share the good, that we share the bad. And so back then I had shared, like I was just being honest with you, kind of where we were at financially, and some of this is just the world we're in now, that giving had been down by about 10%, and we weren't freaking out. We were taking appropriate measures of spending less, amending the budget, changing things to be wise in how we spend the money that you, as partners, give. Give us on a regular basis to support our ministry, but we had asked you in the midst of that, man. We want to trust God. We want you to know what's going on, so we told you and asked you to pray, and had even put put the invitation out there that if there, those were who were not partnering with us wanted to, uh, f- for you to just pay attention to those invitations from God. And many of you did and stepped up and, and did that. And so sometimes it takes a while for the like final financial analysis at the end of the year to come back, but it has by like mid to end of January, all that information has come back. And so we just, again, we share the good and the bad. So I wanted to be able to share with you guys where we ended by the end of uh, 2022. I remember like when we got to the end of December, we were sitting at like 99 point something percentage of budget in terms of giving, like in terms of like meeting, giving, which is amazing because you guys filled that gap of almost 10%. Um, just by a simple invitation. We didn't do anything different other than letting you guys know what was going on and then praying and trusting God. And many of you showed up in amazing ways. So I'm like, that's the way God is. Like he always provides in the perfect way, gives us exactly what we need. But what's cool is by the time, sometimes gifts that are postmarked for the end of the year, but don't show up till mid-January or whenever, kept coming in. So, like, where we're actually at for, like, end of year giving for 2022 was something like 111% budget. So, like, not only did you fill the gap of 10%, you gave 11% over what we needed. And so, guys, thank you so much uh, for your willingness to partner with our ministry, to be a part of what God is doing here at New Hope. I mean, we give all all the glory to God. Thank you, but we know that was God working through you in doing abundantly more than we could ask or imagine to meet our financial needs. And so something else you can pray for us moving forward with that is we practice the principles that we teach. And one of the things we've always taught is what I call the, the generosity philosophy, that if it's come to me, we ask the question, why must that be? that we don't just assume because the money's come, now we can just do whatever we want with it. No, cool, we get to do this and that and our little pet projects and stuff like that. Like, no, we try to discern and seek the leading of the Spirit that if extra has come our way, we don't assume we know why, and we want to seek God's leading and what that looks like. So some of our senior leadership is about to, in the next few weeks, going to go into a time of discernment just to kind of ask God, what do we do with this extra? Like, what does that mean for our ministry and for the future? And is there, maybe he's given it to us for very particular reasons and we want to be sensitive to that and and respond obediently. But I just wanted you guys to know, it's like, like I said, we don't just give the good news, we give the bad news, but sometimes we get to give good news, which is really, really exciting. So again, thank you guys so much uh, for your generosity. It makes a a bigger difference than you realize, not just here in our community, but in the communities surrounding us. Okay. So, speaking of that, we're starting a financial series today. I promise the two are not connected. It just it felt like a good time to give the financial update in the midst of this. Um, so, something I was thinking about man, I, there's a story I'm going to tell at the beginning of my message, like right, right now, this is the beginning of my message. Man, I really struggled with wanting to tell it. Like, I did not want to tell this story because it's, it's actually kind of embarrassing on my part. Um, but I felt like God was wanting me to tell it, so I'll go ahead and I'm going to share it. Um, I bought, um, I'd been driving the same truck. Vehicle, it was like a '99, not even from this century, uh, beater truck for like 10 plus years, and I could tell it was starting to like get on its last legs. So over the last year or so, I had been looking into upgrading and getting a new, newer vehicle. That's not that I don't have to make deals with God every time <laughs> I'm driving it. And so finally, it would have been Thanksgiving, around Thanksgiving of last year, I finally got that vehicle. Now, I had bought it from a dealership. Now, this is the first time I had ever bought a vehicle from a dealership. Some people always go to dealerships. I had always done private party. Like, I don't know why. It's just what I did. But this was the first time I bought a vehicle from a dealership. And so when I knew, like, everything was about to go down, I was about to buy it and stuff like that, I emailed the salesman that I had bought it from, to ask him about, because I'd never done a deal, you know, bought through a dealership before, like, do I need to, because I know there's sometimes hoops that they have to jump through, uh, and it's like, I didn't want to have to, like, wait a day or two before I get my vehicle, like, when I'm ready to buy it. Like, I wanted to be able to just, like, go there, get it, and leave. So I emailed him, I had his card, sent him an email saying, hey, do I need to, like, pay ahead of time? So then it's like good to go, all that stuff, financial stuff is out of the way, and then I can, you know, just get it. Which he responded, he said, well, no, what you can do is, yeah, you can pay ahead of time. You can wire the money to us. And he even gave this like account, like an account number and, you know, a routing number and stuff like that. And I remember when I first heard that, I thought, that's kind of weird. And I can see the looks on some of your faces. You had the same gut check that I did where I was like, wire? I'm like, that? Like, there's usually a charge with that. I'm like, really? I'm like, I wasn't sure, like, with, a you know, buying a vehicle like that, if they let you write a personal check or you have to get, like, a certified, like, I just was not, never done it before, so I wasn't sure. So they said wire, and I'm like, let me check this. So I, like, look at the email address. Like, is this a scam? I can tell by the looks on some of your faces, you're thinking, that's scam. That sounds a little scammy. And so, like, I look at it, and it's his email. I mean, same email that is on the card that he gave me. So I'm like, Surely the salesman wouldn't try to scam me like that. But anyway, so I'm like, all right. So I go to the bank and I talk to them, like talk to bookkeeping about wiring this money. And the bookkeeper like at the bank gave me the same look that just some of you just gave me of like, wire? I'm pretty sure you can just write a check. And I'm like, that's what I thought. But I'm like, but he said, and I'm like, I even showed the email, same email address, look at the card. Like. And so we're like, okay, all right. Well, we'll make sure the wire transfer goes through, sending a good amount of money. And so anyway, later that afternoon, I get a call from the woman in bookkeeping at the bank where she says, "Uh, yeah, so I called the dealership just to confirm because like the bank account number and routing number, it was from some bank in Delaware, like in Baltimore. And they're like, which some banks sometimes like work with banks in Chicago or New York, like they buy, buy out their mortgages and stuff like that. So we're like, just to check on, and they're like, the people at the dealership had no idea what I was talking about. Like, they did not work with that bank. And so I'm like, okay, so I call uh, the salesman. And he answers, and, and I'm like, hey, like, you know, I was just wanted to ask a question about the email. And he's like, today's my day off. Like, I've not been checking my email. And I'm like, wait, what? So not a, this wasn't like the scam, like someone made up a fake email and pretended to be someone. Someone hacked the salesman's email, and had access, because he's selling me, he's sending me a bill of sale, and, every, and it's like all legit, like, from the dealership. He had access to that sale, all of the salesman's records, everything like that, was for, like, I about sent that money to someone, and it was just going to be gone. Whew. Now, as I began, <laughs> I went through a range of emotions <laughs> in the midst of that. Um, I got scared, uh, got really angry, and then I got really embarrassed. See, I didn't want to tell this story because it's embarrassing. I feel like, an, I feel, I'm standing here, I feel like an idiot telling you this story. And I even had that gut check, like mm, like the looks you're giving me. I felt that in my gut, and I'm usually pretty good at listening to my gut, but I'm just thinking, the same email? Like, surely not, but it was. which Consequently, it makes me not want to do anything online, Right? like, anything online, because there's just, like, so many scams, so many problems, and it makes me want to, like, if any of you are not banking local, like, bank local, guys. Like, that bookkeeper, like, she did not have to do some of the things that she did. Like, she went the extra mile. I mean, like, that was her job, but, like, she did not have to do some of the things she did, and I was just, like, anyway, very, whew. As I reflected on some of that, prayerfully, as some of the anxiety and anger and embarrassment subsided a little bit, one of the things I realized was that my stuff had a hold on me more than I realized. Because it wasn't that I shouldn't have felt those feelings from that happening. All of those feelings, anger, fear, embarrassment, those were appropriate things to feel. For me, it was the degree or the intensity that I felt it. Now, I know it's some, probably hard for some of you to imagine me getting angry, but like I was like, Brr. talk to my wife how angry <laughs> I got, and then just mortified. Like, it took se- several weeks of praying about this for me to tell this story because I just didn't want anybody to know that I was that stupid apparently. But see, we're starting a series today called You Can't Take It With You. You see the truth is money is a big part of our life, and it was a big part of Jesus' life and time then as well. And it was actually a surprisingly big part of his ministry too. Um, scholars stipulate that probably somewhere between a fourth to a third of Jesus' teachings, uh, like his parables, his stories, his teachings, had to do either directly or indirectly with money and I like found some statistics on it, 11 out of his 39 parables that he tells had to do with money as an illustration. See... So Jesus talked about money a lot. But, and here's the thing, is this can often be done in a weird sort of way where it's done in a manipulative way to like get you to give more to the church or give more to this or that or the other. But see, most of the time when Jesus talked about money, he was actually not really talking about money. He was almost always ever talking about your heart. And so in this day and age when financial instability can make us either shrink back in fear or move forward in anger, we want to spend a few weeks just looking at some of the key teachings of Jesus around finances and money and what it looks like for us to handle our stuff in a way that it doesn't handle us in return. So uh, I want to start this series uh, by getting all three campuses here, Effingham and Shelbyville and Newton, love you guys, uh, getting us all on the same page. I want to start with the heart because that's where Jesus always started and almost always stayed at was addressing the heart. And so I want to begin today with what is probably the most direct teaching on money and on our hearts that Jesus ever gives in his entire ministry. And it's found actually very early on in his ministry. I think he wanted to establish a very strong foundation before he went on to other stuff. So it's actually found in uh, the Sermon on the Mount Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, this is the key spiritual principle we're going to break apart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, the longer text that we're going to be looking at, because we're going to be looking at a few verses beyond this one, but in this particular teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives three sets of contrasts. Meaning he presents three different like competing ideas where there's a tension between two opposing forces or opposing things. And so I'm going to little by little talk about each set of contrasts and how it applies to our heart and our stuff about this. So the first contrast is given immediately in this passage. Storing up your treasures in heaven versus storing them on earth, He says, don't store them up on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store them in heaven. Now, I want you to notice something right from the get-go in this text, and this is so, so important, that Jesus does not berate his disciples for storing up treasure. You notice that? He doesn't berate them for storing up treasure because, see, in the ancient world, banking was not a common thing, especially in the Near East. So people usually kept their valuables in the form of gold and silver, uh, oftentimes hidden somewhere in their homes. And, of course, their homes were made out of brick and clay which tended to be pretty easy to break into. So sometimes valuables were uh, hidden somewhere, maybe in the walls, or they were buried somewhere in the ground in the house. Or if you owned a certain amount of land, you would pick a spot that only you knew and you would bury your valuables in the ground there. See, Jesus in some ways, when he's talking about this, he's talking about the mere practicality uh, you know, of treasures being stored up on earth. They can be ruined. They can rust in the ground. They can be found and stolen in your house. So storing everything that you treasure there, uh, there's a practical danger that comes with that. Now... Lindsay and I have experienced some of this in some ways. Something we've been kicking around and researching was is replacing our, our love seat and our couch in our living room. Like we still have the same couch and love seat that we had from like when we got married like almost 15 years ago. And the reason why is because we've got little kids and they jump on stuff and they spill literally everything. And so like we, I mean, This couch and love seat, like, it's on its last legs, guys. Like, it is, like, pretty disgusting. But, like, we hesitate at, like, replacing them or getting them because we're just, like, as soon as we get them. Like, I I just, I wonder. I don't know this for sure. Call this bad interpretation. I don't know. I'll leave that up to the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said moth and rust or, you know, moth and vermin destroying, is he talking about the practicality of parenthood? (laughs) Like, don't store up your treasures in heaven, because you have kids, and they will destroy everything, because that's unfortunately the way that it is. Now, of course, we live in a world where banks are safe, supposedly, and secure and protected. And so some of these problems that are problems are not so much problems anymore, but of course, online shopping and banking present new sets of problems. In fact, the woman from that, you know, my bank, like when we went through that, she actually said to herself, she's like, this is why I do almost everything face-to-face and like not online because there's just so many opportunities for scams. Like it actually even happened yesterday. Like Lindsay was putting up something on like the Facebook marketplace to sell and immediately got a bite and they were trying to do this like bait and switch thing with Venmo to like get us to send money back to them. And it was like, it was very... It was very persuasive, but then Lindsay just, you know, because she's smarter than me, she actually listened to her gut check and, like, immediately researched what they were saying, and she's like, and so she put, you're scamming me. I'm reporting you, and it said the person instantly left the conversation. I'm like, whoa, like it's there, like all the time. And see, with recent economic downturns and recession talk, Guys, it's hard to not be scared for the future sometimes, right? But see, I think when Jesus is talking about these things, he's making a bigger point than just the practicality of like storing your money in a place that is like safe and you're not going to lose it. See, his point is when your treasure is stored down here, you're always going to fear. I made it rhyme so you'd remember it. When your treasure is stored down here, you're always going to fear. No matter how smart or advanced we get in storing our treasure, there's always going to be some sort of new way for it to be stolen or destroyed or taken. So it's more than just practical concern for your stuff. Uh, And so, as always, Jesus expands the topic by bringing in another contrast, another set of contrasts to help augment the first one to understand where he's really going with this. And we find this second contrast in verse 22 and 23, where he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, see, we often look at those verses and they get misquoted or taken out of context that often we quote those verses as like, guys, be careful what you watch on TV or be careful what movies you watch or be careful of those things like, you know, if you let that stuff in, darkness will be in you. And there's truth about those ideas, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. See, good Bible study requires interpreting texts within their context, meaning you look at the verses before and the verses after to give you an understanding what is really being said here. And if you look at this, this these two verses are entrenched firmly both before and after around money and our treasure and what we do with our treasure. So good Bible study uh, demands that we interpret it through that lens, that Jesus is talking about money when he talks about our eyes and you know, being healthy or unhealthy in light and darkness. See, when Jesus is talking about your eyes, and he does this in other parables and stories as well, he's talking about your spiritual sight, seeing and hearing spiritual truths. That's why it talks about it: he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, that, there was a spiritual connotation to that, that it wasn't just, did you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? Did you understand what you heard? Are you perceiving what your eyes have actually seen happen? He's talking about perception, our ability to perceive. And here's why he does this, because see, I want to— Jesus' most famous parables, the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about uh, the seed being sown and falling on four different types of soil, and one of them, it falls among weeds, and it says that the the weeds choke the seed and prevent it from bearing fruit. And later, his disciples are like, as we often are with Jesus' teaching, okay, what did you mean by that? I don't understand what you're saying. You're talking cryptically, and I don't get it. And so Jesus begins to say that, the the seed falling among the seed, or falling among the weeds, that the weeds represent, he uses this phrase, the weeds represent the worries of this life, and then this is the key phrase, the deceitfulness of wealth. Did you know that wealth is deceitful? Like if you can, our stuff can deceive us. So in a nutshell, uh, this is what the second contrast is saying. It's talking about to see or not to see the deceitfulness of our stuff. That if you can plainly see the problems that your stuff can pose in your life, then your soul will be healthy and filled with life. But if you can't perceive it, if you're ignorant of it, then it can wreak havoc. And this is why I think he uses that contrast of light and dark in that, like seeing light and dark. We normally hear light and dark and we think good and evil, but that is not the only meaning of light and dark in the Scriptures. Oftentimes, it's used in the like the meaning of, of hidden versus revealed. Meaning, like, if you don't perceive the problems that your stuff can cause in your life, then it's going to be hidden in your life and wreak all kinds of problems, and you won't do anything about it because you have no idea it's happening. But if you see the possibility, you can prevent it from happening before... It does. I mean, this is, why do you think that a majority of people who win the lottery, like I know some of you like think, some of you may buy, buy lottery tickets on a regular basis, and you think, man, if I could just win that $325 million, then my life w- would be set. Not realizing that a vast majority of people who win the lottery, I mean, like I looked up the statistics, it's something like 70% of people who win the lottery within five years are broke, like bankrupt, like have no money because their friends, supposed friends, acquaintances, vultures come in and then their own mismanaging of it le- causes the money to leave as quickly as it came. So most of the time, we're only thinking about the practical aspect of you know, our stuff. How well it's protected, or how well it's insured, or how well it's being managed. And those are all good things. Don't get me wrong. Uh, wisdom demands that we be careful how we manage and protect our money. That's good, but it's not enough according to Jesus. See, most of the time we think about the practical aspects, but we never think about the sole implications of our stuff. We get so caught up in managing our stuff that we realize that if we're ignorant to the problems it can cause in our life, then it begins to manage us and the type of person we become. And so according to Jesus, how you view or perceive your stuff shapes what kind of person you are becoming and the fruit that you're going to bear in your life. So submitting our stuff to Jesus isn't just about managing our stuff well, it's about managing our souls well. And so just to give a little recap before I move on to the third and most important contrast, I want to give a little bit of a a sum up and a synthesis of the two first contrasts and how they work together. So this is what Jesus has said so far. Be careful where you store your treasures because where you store them shapes how you perceive them and how you perceive them shapes who you are becoming. It's more than practicality. It's spirituality. Everything is spiritual, including your stuff. So submitting to Jesus isn't just about managing our stuff well, it's managing our souls. And so once that is established, zero, Jesus zeroes in on the very heart of the matter in verse 24. Oh, guys, this is, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Hear this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, this statement is probably one of the most, if not the most, jarring statements in Jesus' teaching. Like, do you hear what he's saying here? He's saying, your loyalty is limited. You think you can give your, limit, your loyalty out to all of these things, but the truth is it's very limited, and you have to pick who your master is. And so in this, when he's talking about the limitations of our loyalty, he, put, he pits God against our stuff instead of Satan. Now, this is the only topic he does this where he, most of the time he's pitting God against the devil or, you know, good against evil. This is the only topic where Jesus pits God against something other than Satan and the forces of darkness. Now, I've always wondered, why does he do that? Why does he not directly say that it's about Satan? Like, that seems to be the most obvious. And it's actually true. Like, when he's talking about our stuff, he is talking about Satan. Like, don't get me wrong. But why does he name it specifically as stuff? Well, I think he does it for this reason, to expose the lie that we believe around our stuff. And see, here's what I mean. Jesus is talking about Satan here, but this is where, this, this is where Satan, the devil, shines as the father of lies. See, the devil wants to lull you into a false sense of security around your stuff. All the while, he's distracting you from the violence that it is doing to your soul in the darkness. Now, here's what I mean by this, because we live in a a culture that, I mean, let's just name it, is a culture of rampant materialism, and, excess. and so this is Satan's greatest lie around this idea, where Satan is saying, yeah, go ahead, denounce me, pray against me, cast me out, pay attention to all the things I'm doing in Hollywood and Washington, D.C., and all the other places that show up on the front page. And I'm doing all of those things openly so that you'll focus on them. And all the while, there is a spy in your camp who is wreaking havoc on your soul and you have no idea that it's happening. So yeah, denounce me in all these other areas because I'm wreaking havoc in the dark and you have no idea. Like, there's a reason why Satan is the father of lies. Lies operate best in the dark. And it causes us to become afraid, so afraid of losing our stuff, of losing our wealth, that we end up doing anything to protect it, and it ends up becoming our God. See, there's a reason Paul, and some of these verses that I've just been meditating on, and and man, God has just been ruining me over it. There's a reason why Paul says in 1 Timothy, I think it's 1 Timothy 6.10, he says that the love of money is the root of all evil. That's like one of the most extreme statements ever. But he says loving money, essentially it being your God, that's the root of all evil. Almost everything comes back to that. We see businesses and organizations in the world taking these moral stands on things, but the second it costs, their, costs them their bottom line, they suddenly change their view. And the reason why is because we can morally posture, but oftentimes as soon as it affects what our real God is, then we bend and bow and give in. It's also the reason why in Ephesians 5, when Paul is listing all of these acts of the flesh and these sinful practices, the only one that he calls an an idolater, like a worshiper of a false god, is greedy people. I never noticed that before, but when we did the Ephesians series back in the fall, I noticed that. It's like the only people he calls idolaters are greedy people. And this is the reason why, and this is is such a, a scary thing, is that, The Pharisees, who were like the premier followers of God's law, when Jesus said this very thing in Luke's account of this teaching, where it says, You can only serve two masters, God or money, you got to pick one, can't serve both. Right after that, in Luke 16, it says, The Pharisees sneered at him for they were lovers of money. And there's great implications for that around our spirituality, that we think if I go to church and check off all the right boxes, clearly I'm not a lover of money, but the Pharisees showed that was not true. So he's very honest in this text. You can't serve God and money. One and only one can be your master. And so there are two important truths that come out of this that tell us something about the purpose of money in our lives. Because remember, Jesus doesn't denounce us for storing up treasure. So his his solution isn't just get rid of everything, and we just—everyone lives in absence. For some people, it was because it was already their God, and he knew that was the only way they were going to be free of it. But he doesn't demand every person who followed him give everything away. And why is that? Well, it's because of these two reasons. First, money is meant to be a tool. It's an incredible servant, but a terrible master. We might— It must serve our purposes to live our lives and to provide for our families. But even more importantly, it must serve God's purposes in the world. This is why Jesus didn't denounce them for storing stuff up. He was only concerned not that you stored it up, but where you stored it up. He assumed you were going to store your treasure, but he wanted to make sure you knew exactly where and why. Don't store it where it won't last, where it can't be protected. Store it where it is guaranteed to last. Store it in heaven. Use it for things that matter for God and his kingdom. Think There are many things that have been absolutely transformed in the world because there were people who took this teaching seriously and invested the great wealth that God had brought to them in very particular ways, and New Hope Church has even benefited of that in multiple ways, of people who didn't think that this was just a theoretical thing but thought it was a real thing and said, no, that actually affects the way I spend my money, so I'm going to store it where it can't be lost. I'm going to st- store it in the things that matter to God. So money can't be our master. It must be a tool a servant that is submitted to the lordship of Christ to accomplish what God wants in the world, just like our mission statement, for the sake of others. Not for our own sake, but for the sake of others. We're hardwired in our flesh to be for our own sake, but money helps us be for the sake of others. But see, money isn't just a tool. Money is also a test. Money asks the question, who is your master? Is God your master? Is your stuff your master? And this is where the great greatest chance for deception for the the evil ones the evil one to scam you comes in because honestly it is far too easy for us to assume oh yeah like if you were to ask the the average church attender do you love money oh no I don't love money God's my master money's not my master like it's it's like built in, in as a knee jerk reaction to say that but we realize there's actually certain tests that show whether that is true. And here's what I mean by this. And guys, I got a hot take for you, and you're not going to like this. You're going to struggle with this. Giving doesn't prove you're not greedy. Giving doesn't prove you're not greedy. All it proves is you know how to not appear greedy. Greedy. And I point to the Pharisees as the exact, like they were the premier givers. Jesus even talked about that they tithed, gave a tenth of the smallest thing that came their way. It said even their spices, like if someone gave me a salt shaker and I was a Pharisee, I'm like, well, I have to pour a tenth of that salt out at the temple because God requires I give a tenth of everything. Like they were the standard forgiving, and they would often trumpet that to everybody. And Jesus was saying, and it pointed out in the scriptures, they were lovers of money. So it doesn't even matter if you just give. In fact, this is what I would say. How you determine whether you're greedy or not is not by what you do with what you give, but rather what you do with what you don't give, with the rest of it, what you keep. Who determines how the rest of it is spent? You God. Now, don't get me wrong, and and I'm not saying giving to charity or giving to the church or giving to, you know, other people in acts of generosity uh, is a bad thing. It's a very, very good thing. It's a wonderful thing. But see, God isn't just concerned with what you give. He's also concerned with what you keep. He's concerned with all of it because all of it ultimately belongs to him. And so it serves as a test for us, for our heart around how we really view our stuff. And I've got a couple questions that I think can kind of point in the right direction of what we do with the rest that we don't give. Uh, you can ask yourself this question. Where do I seek comfort or security in hard times? Have You ever thought about that? When there's a flood or a storm or a fire or a divorce or a death in the family, what do I trust in? Do I trust in my savings account? Do I trust in my insurance policy? Now again, insurance policy, great thing to have. I have them. Savings account, like savings like planning for a rainy day, great thing to have. There's huge wisdom in the scriptures even about having those things. But the question is and this is why it's really hard to really honestly talk about this question because it's ultimately about your posture toward those things, not whether you have them. That would be like saying like, "Oh, I've smashed my thumb with a hammer or someone got killed with a hammer, let's ban hammers." Like, Jesus isn't saying get rid of money because money has done bad things. Instead, posture the heart the right way in in terms of trust or not. Do I look to my money and my stuff to carry me in hard times? And then, like, when the money runs out, then I cry out to God for help? Or is God my first response? Even when I have stuff, knowing that the stuff that I have that is there to protect me on a rainy day actually came from him. And he gave me the wisdom to prepare for that. And so I thank him as my first reaction. Because God does and will use material possessions and the generosity of others to care for his children. But we must always look to the giver himself first before we look to the gifts. And so please hear my heart on this as your pastor. I'm not saying any of this to, like if you are feeling guilt or obligation or shame or judgment around this. That that is not my intention. And likely, the enemy might be speaking some lies or has spoke lies in the past to shape how you're hearing me right now. Like, my intention is not to feel shame, not to feel guilt or to bludgeon you with the scriptures, but instead for you to honestly reflect on the condition of your heart and what it is postured toward. Because coming out of that scam last year, I was deeply concerned at my own reaction to it. Like, I realized, like, as much as I talk about generosity and try to practice it, I realized, man, in the darkness of the reaches of your heart that there may still be some darkness, that stuff can attach to you in all kinds of ways that you don't even realize, and sometimes it takes stuff like that. And so God, in his abundant mercy, revealed to me something about my heart that even spiritual leaders can struggle surrendering their stuff. And so Jesus desperately wants each of his followers to know, guys, you can't take it with you. So please, please, please be diligent to not let it take you. Now, another question that shows money as a test, and sorry, this is targeted at the older people in the room. When I think of my future, is it primarily around my stuff or God? God. Like, just to take a moment to consider this. When I think about my life and my future, like, is it aimed at, you know, especially like around the topic of retirement, is it aimed at me enjoying my stuff? Like, man, I've worked really hard for all this stuff. Man, I can't wait till I retire so I can enjoy everything I've worked so hard for. If that's your primary thinking, you're a fool. And that's not me saying that. That's Jesus saying that. Now, again, retirement's not a bad thing. It's not about not being able, I hope to retire myself someday. From the looks on some of your faces, it might be an early retirement. We'll see. (laughs) But see, in our culture, retirement from work often means a retirement from purpose. That now that I don't have to work anymore, then I just get to be fully interfacing purpose. I get to be fully for my own sake and just enjoy all the stuff that it's not even possible that the stuff that I have been given that God has provided for me might possibly be for the sake of others. Instead, it's all for me just to enjoy and kick back and relax. Jesus told a parable about this where he said there was a rich man who amassed a great amount and he just kept building bigger and bigger barns to store all of his stuff and then finally one day he kicked back and he's like, finally, I get to kick back and enjoy all of this stuff that I've amassed. And then on that day, God said, you're a fool because you built all of this stuff up for yourself and now your life is demanded of you and who will receive it after? You lived none of your life for the sake of others and now you will be judged and you will lose everything because you can't take it with you. But see, God's purposes for our lives endure even beyond retirement. In fact, in some ways, and you have to have the right perspective of like, when I no longer have to work a job to earn a living, to take care of my family's grown up and moved out, that I might even be able to be used by God even more than I have. Because now I'm freed up. God has provided for me in a way that now I can be even more for the sake of others, not less for the sake of others to see how we view our future and our final years is a surprisingly accurate test to reveal to us how we view our stuff and whether it rules any part of our life. Do I view my stuff as my ultimate rest and comfort in the future? Is it a foundational necessity for my happiness? Meaning like, if I don't have this amount in the bank, something's wrong and I can't be happy. And it's like, biblically, that's a very foreign idea that smacks of nothing of trusting in God that God can't provide for us in so many different ways. And again, nothing wrong with retirement, nothing wrong with saving. Those are all great things, biblical ideas, wise ideas. But again, good things can become ultimate things and that's when they become idols. They become gods in our lives. See, if I view my future primarily through the lens I've worked really hard to earn all this stuff just so I can enjoy it, I'm a fool I mean, yes, I want to bless my family when I die, but more importantly, I want to bless God when I die. And so at the end of the day, I want, to, I want to pass the test that my stuff gives me and rightly use it as a tool for God's kingdom and always for the sake of others. And so that's the question that I want to leave you with today. That's the test. Who is your master? And does how you store up your treasures reflect that? because you can't take it with you, but you can take it somewhere that it will last. Will you stand with me? Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace, for your provision in our lives when we don't deserve it, and you take care of us in hard times, and we recognize you that... James, the brother of Jesus said that all good and perfect, all all good gifts come from the father of the heavenly lights and that you don't change like the shifting shadows that it was just as true for Peter and Jesus as it was for Paul, as it was for those in the medieval period, as it is true for us today, that you are a good God and all gifts, all good gifts come from you from above. And we recognize that we recognize you as the source. God, help us to not posture our lives in a way where you are at the forefront, where you are the center, that our, our heart trusts in you and not our stuff. And that is impossible for man to do, but with God, all things are possible. In Jesus' name, I pray.